From New Orleans, welcome to Questions from the Waiting Room, a show that makes uncomfortable concepts easy to talk about. Dr. Nick Pajic, a practicing psychiatrist, will be your host and your guide as we dive deep into the human experience. I was wondering if you had a secret hunch of how you might die. Mm. I honestly think a possibility would be running on St. Charles Avenue and being mowed over while I'm crossing one of the uh, intersections. But somebody in a big like truck who's like smoking on an e-cig mm-hmm. while texting his like, ex-girlfriend and probably listening to uh, I don't know, like Nickelback or something. That would suck if, you, if his windows were down and you heard the Nickelback and that was the last <laughs> thing you heard before you died. Can you imagine? That would be so awful. I'd be like, dude, turn on your nickel board and get crushed. I worry about that because that stuff happens all the time. And uh, I run on you know, the avenue. But it, then there's a decision you got to make in life. Do I stop doing things I want to do because there's some risk? Yeah, or do I just yeah. do them anyways with some caution? Uh, the other, other way, I think, um, is uh, by having like a disgruntled patient coming in and killing me. And yeah. I've thought about that. Uh, a lot to the point that you know it's almost been traumatizing from past experiences with patients that have become like semi-violent or threatened me yeah I've had to have police uh, patrol my house Jeez. at some point yeah anyways can I ask you a personal question yeah yeah shoot do you have a hunch about how you might die I don't know I think it might be like a airplane crash mm-hmm but it's gonna be one of those where I almost live and then some like weird ending's gonna happen. Like the plane's gonna crash, but I'm gonna be totally fine. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm like going out of the wreckage, like a seagull's gonna come and like eat. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think seagulls eat. Do <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah. I feel like you know another part of the plane will like come down while I'm walking away from the wreckage, and it won't hit me, and I'll be I'll still be fine. But then just yeah, some stupid event will happen. An ironic Snoopy death. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very ironic. Or yeah, wild, and then, wild coyote. And I'll yeah, oh, yeah, coyote or like a rabid like raccoon or something. And you know we were talking before about uh, a more compelling question might be like, what do you do? Well, yeah, I ask my patients this sometimes. What would you mm-hmm. do if you had one year to live from exactly now? Yeah, I think I would. I don't know. It's a it's a hard question to answer, but I I think I would try to find a balance between like family time or just spending time with people I care about, but then also doing some kind of traveling around the world. Or honestly, if I can like figure out how to go to outer space in that year. SpaceX. Yeah, SpaceX, yeah. And I would also do a lot of things that were a lot riskier. You know, because if I was mm-hmm. going to die anyway, like why not like live on the actual edge? Well, uh, I think I'd like to leave a legacy. I've been trying to piece together a book by writing different chapters. Um, which is uh, kind of a, it's a book about uh, magical realism uh, regarding New Orleans and post-Katrina events and stuff. Um, I think I'd like want to write some music or continue writing music and you know record a bunch of stuff. But uh, it's interesting that you know if you ask yourself that question, if I had one year left before I die, what would I do at this age right now? What kind of urgency it can bring to your life if you really live by that credo? Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because we don't, you know, how do we predict when it's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I think it's an interesting thing to proposition to live by. It's a cool question to ask yourself just occasionally, just to make sure you're mm-hmm. on the right track in general. Living on your edge a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
but yeah how's it been how's your how's your oh. last week been going uh good uh my buddy patrick carr was ordained last saturday at the st louis cathedral oh, sweet. Um, yeah the, he became a priest yeah so uh it was really kind of emotional to see him cross that threshold and see him give himself to god we talk about women sometimes mm-hmm. we talk about his prior life uh you know dating and the kind of the questions of do i find someone to get married and move on and he's he's also an accountant but he left that for uh, a life uh, with christ so to speak and i really admire him for that dedication yeah uh, but it's to me it's it's interesting the kind of what you attach to you know your secure attachments in your life and how that happens um so he and i will sometimes meet and um i'll run into him a lot we'll We'll talk over a drink and uh, talk a lot of philosophy about Christ and whether Christ was uh, real and was he manic? Did did he have a mental illness of some sort and like delusional or was he God? Anyways, not to get all church on you, David. Yeah, I mean, I am Jewish, so I'm super offended by this conversation. Really? But I didn't want to say it. Well, well, he so he, (laughs) he also talks about that part of the Bible too and, you know, how Christ was a Jew and um, the circumstances of his death and all that stuff in the Old Testament, New Testament. So mm. actually, I got to introduce you to him. Yeah, he sounds awesome. One question I have about him, though, I don't know if you've had this conversation, but when you, when he kind of decided just to, you know, devote his his life to priesthood, was that a hard decision to give up everything else? I mean, I just feel like, or is it like yeah. a spiritual thing that he feels, or how well, does that happen? I think the answer is yes. And I, he's told me as such, uh, you know. Um, I interviewed Monsignor Nalty, Christopher Nalty, at St. Steve's Church here for the another podcast I'd done called Mindset, and it's uh, at itsneworleans.com. But uh, nice plug. Yeah, right. Well, if it, it's an interesting interview because no, it's talk, awesome. I've, cause, <laughs> I've listened to a couple. <laughs> David, shame on you. I'm shameless too. Um, Monsignor Nalty talks about how he was in relationships in the past and how he would see ex-girlfriends and, you know, be friends with them. But now he's committed to God. And I think he's described it that he was in church one day and he just had a calling that you want something more for your life. And you're listening to that little voice inside of you that says, come this way mm-hmm. and following that. And he was just call, kind of called to God. Now, as a psychiatrist, that could be, you know, your intuition. That could be... Um, you know, maybe avoiding other issues in life or something, so you go down that pathway. Yeah. Or there's some something transcendental could be happening there. Yeah. Anyways, how was your week? It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. I moved this week, so it was kind of a stressful week when it came to that. Um, it's one of those things where you move and life doesn't exactly stop. It's just you have to keep doing all your other activities that you're a part mm-hmm. of in life. So, and then you also have this huge um, other thing going on. Um, so it was just a lot to handle, but I'm finally moved into my new place, which is very satisfying. So I love the first night of staying in a new apartment because it's like a, it's a historic, has historical significance in your life, you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to, you're making history in that moment. You know, your furniture may not be where it's going to be and you've ended one era at one apartment. Might not exist yet. Right. <laughs> you may not exactly. And then you're starting another era. And yeah, then, no, that's a, that's exactly the way I'm looking at it. Just like it's a it's a perfect way to kind of make a couple changes in your life. So, question one from the waiting room today: 
So I wouldn't say I have anger management issues, but I do tend to get angry at petty details. I'm aware I do this, but I still can't help it. Like when I'm driving, I'm much more likely to get mad at nothing. Why do some situations set me off more than others, and what can I do to calm myself in the moment? Okay. Anger management. So getting angry in traffic happens to me morning and about when I'm going home Mm -hmm. a few minutes from now. Like... um, so I think there's some kind of normal, uh, you know, anger that can happen. It's most likely from setting expectations and that not having those expectations met, or having some kind of baked-in thoughts that if I'm late for this thing, my life's going to end, or someone's going to be upset or inconvenienced or something or other. So there's this kind of urgency. Um, I think for more deeper anger management issues, there's there is kind of an impulse control disorder where, where people. Uh, they act, act or respond out of proportion to the inciting event. So if someone, um, you know, throws a piece of gum on the ground and uh, you have to step over it, you know, you wouldn't go after it, smack that person. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so that would be out of proportion to the, that happening. Um, so there's some people do have that. And then uh, if it's not like an impulse control disorder, then there are things like generalized anxiety or depression um, where people feel irritable mm-hmm. or actually even bipolar disorder where their irritability can be part of the uh, diagnosis. And so some people have irritability and they actually have a, a disorder. Now, most most likely it's people that are just kind of feeling a little bit more anxious than not or throw in like some fatigue like the, at the end of, end of the day. A lot of people are anxious. They they spend a lot of time being more fatigued, and you know, because they don't sleep well or something, so they may be a little bit more irritable. And in the car, that might be expressed. So that's kind of how we view that one. And then the question was, uh, why do some, some situations set me up more than others, and what can I do to calm myself in the moment? That type right. of thing. Uh, I don't know. I think setting sp- specific situations or maybe different expectations that one has, and uh, depending on the time of the day, or if you're hungry, or how much you slept the night before. It might be confusing to a person because they don't really connect like how much they slept with being irritable later in the day. They just see the irritability as kind of a um, an untethered symptom from any cause. One way to calm yourself down is to think, will this matter in you know five years? Something like a question like that, or to just count to ten before you react, or uh, to have empathy for the people, like someone d- driving in the other car. Like right. sometimes I'm behind somebody and they're going really slow, but and I can't see in the car, but I just imagine somebody elderly I know, you know, having empathy. And actually, I think they've done a study in Europe where they took all the signage uh, out of the city. And I mean, it was a smaller town, so there was no stoplight. Huh. So people just came in and you were forced to stop at intersections and look at the person and to communicate eyes and do that, yeah. which was better because there were less arguments and less fights and less tra- traffic problems because people were actually forced to communicate so not everyone just crashed immediately right wow yeah and i can't tell you where that i i know that from but it's i remember hearing that and being like oh that's that's interesting yeah it's cool yeah so all right number two i'm pretty much just wondering why i'm motivated to play video games when i have a test the next day to study for even though i love the material i'm studying what is so enticing about playing games if i enjoy the studying anyway oh man in video games, you have total control. You're studying for a test. You don't know what the grade you're going to get. But in a video game, you have this control of these characters on there or of killing people or finding some golden treasure or something, right? And there's an end point. 
And I think it's highly stimulating. And I think the combination of the stimulation from it and being in control is very appealing, you know? When our brains get tired, we are me the mechanism by which we focus gets tired and our attention can shift more. By watching, a playing a video game, your brain is constantly being, the input that you're getting is, is uh, a higher amounts of you know, this data, com data coming in and you can shift your attention and it kind of lends itself to that. Uh, and if you have to study for a test, a lot of times that's in internalizing new information and registering it in your brain. Um, whereas a video game, you don't, it's like cotton candy for your brain, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's one reason why video games are so fun to play, I think. What would you say if he, if he asked, I'd rather just sit there and not do anything rather than study, even though I like the material I'm studying? Well, liking the material you're studying, like liking biology, and I want to, you know, go to med school or something versus studying for it and learning something new. I think it takes energy to learn something new, and it's difficult, so it's work for your brain. So I think there's anxious procrastination that people can do, or just general procrastination where there's going to be, there's always going to be some competing interest that's, that's easier to do yeah. uh, than, the, than the work at hand. Sure. So what I would tell this person is, Go to the gym, you know, feed your brain some good dopamine and opioid tone. Actually, then feed yourself, make sure that you're not hungry. Uh, maybe stimulate yourself with a little caffeine and then go in, into a, a scenario where you don't have competing interests like a library where you just jump into it. And then if you are distracting yourself with other things, delay the, the, the distraction and try to focus in on the work at hand. Uh, and that can be really difficult. You know, sometimes you... You know, it really takes finding a sweet spot in your life or within your day to, to engage in intense study. Where does self-confidence come from? I'm confident in some situations, but super shy and anxious in others. What would you recommend I do to become more confident in general, specifically in social situations? Okay. Self-confidence, I think, comes from a variety of different circumstances. If your parents modeled for you how to be confident and how to interact in the world, like uh, I watched my dad get up every morning, have coffee after shaving, putting a suit on and going to the, the hospital. And that's just what he did. And there wasn't kind of any meekness or you know yeah. uh, hesitation in doing that. Mm -hmm. So w what your parents model for you is one thing. Uh, and then I think as you're growing up, having parents that allow you make mistakes and to know that you can get back up, dust yourself off, and then engage again, and re-engage, and that you can troubleshoot problems. And so you, you, get, you gain the sensibility that you, you have control, like an internalized central center of control is uh, part of it too. So a lot of it just has to do with upbringing and who was around you during that time. Hmm. Now, if somebody's competent in some situations, not, not other situations, I would ask, well, what are those other situations? And if, and, and if those other situations are more social, like then there could be a tinge of social anxiety, uh, which a lot of people have anxiety disorders and social anxiety can be one of them. Like uh, being too nervous when entering a room where other people are seated or talking on a cell phone in public or urinating in the public. Yeah. You know, like those situations. Like I, I have patients that won't go to the bathroom at the mall. They'll, they'll have to wait to go home because mm -hmm. they just won't be in a stall, and it's, but uh, they're, they're just too on edge. So sometimes it's actually social anxiety and then if it's a, around like women, like or the, you know, if there's somebody that you're attracted to in, in a bar, let's say, um, 
it's the fear of the other. And I think some of that's biological and like evolutionary, yeah. where you don't want to put yourself in harm's way by talking to some other clan or tribe, right. so to speak. And, um, and then the expectation that if you talk to a girl or a guy and, and you screw up in talking to them, that they're not going to like you and you're not going to be accepted. So a lot of social anxiety comes from like people are going to judge or humiliate you based on what you say or do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is, is most times people that you're talking to are thinking about their own issues and not about you specifically. They're not going to be as critical as you probably will you, yourself. And e- even if they are, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. A lot of I think a lot of social anxiety is just built up in the person's head. For sure. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, even when you know that, it's hard not to do it. Yeah. So that takes some kind of exposure therapy where you go out there and you understand the messaging that you're telling yourself. And then you substitute new messaging and you say, you know, at the Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live, like, mm-hmm. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And God darn it, people like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or there's a. There's your mantra for you. Right. Uh, and then for all you guys or girls or guys whatever out there trying to date and hit on people in bars I think a really good technique is to go up to somebody and say listen I only have a minute to talk here because I got to get back to my buddies but I I saw you across the room and I really wanted to meet you so uh, you know my name's Dr. Nick (laughs) (laughs) hello boys and girls and you know saying my name's Nick what's your name and then they the person you're talking with they know that there's a safe window of one minute. Yeah. yeah. And then at the minute time, you look at your watch or your iPhone or whatever, and you say, oh, I got to get back. But it was really nice to meet you. You don't buy him a drink or anything like that. And then at the end, you know, when you're leaving the bar for that night, you walk up to him and you say, hey, by the way, what's your number? Uh, I want to call you sometime. And then, boom. Yeah. That's a pretty good pickup. You like that? Yeah. Sorry, I can't believe I'm telling about dating secrets on... They're going to call it the Dr. Nick trick. <laughs> the psychiatric fact of the day. Okay, this is getting really serious, but approximately 1.1% of American adults, which is about 2.4 million people, live with schizophrenia. Approximately 2.6% of American adults, that's 6.1 million people, live with bipolar disorder. Depression is 6.7% and 14.8 million people. And then anxiety disorders, which is like panic disorder, obsessive compulsive, or post-traumatic stress, or generalized anxiety and other phobias, is 42 million people, which is around 18% of Americans. So that's a, that's a lot that of a anxious lot. people out yeah, there. Yeah, wow. Um, so you probably know somebody who has something going on and uh, there is help out there. Uh, so that's our psych facts of the day. And our positive quote by Stephen Covey, and I like this. The indispensable first step to getting things you want out of life is this. Decide what you want. So for listeners out there, if you're stuck, you got to decide what you want. Make that commitment to yourself to go for that and hold on to it like an ironclad fist. And if you don't, well, just go play video games and... Uh, Forget about your problems. Forget about your problems. and So, I don't know. how Do we have to do sign-off here? You're probably just going to have to cut all this out. Just, just, <laughs> just the whole thing. Just the whole thing. Anyways, peace out, people.
Thanks for listening to this session of Questions from the Waiting Room. If you have a question or comment for us to discuss on the show, then email show at atlaspsychiatry.com. If you'd like to learn more about your hosts, Dr. Nick Pajic or David Miller, listen to other shows, or to consult Dr. Pajic for a mental health issue, then visit www.atlaspsychiatry.com. Music production is done by McWordna. To hear more of his work, visit the link in the description. Questions from the Waiting Room is committed to destigmatizing mental health issues and providing psychiatric education to our listeners. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.